0: Insects around the world are in a crisis, according to a small but growing number of long-term studies showing dramatic declines in invertebrate populations. A new report suggests that the problem is more widespread than scientists realized. Huge numbers of bugs have been lost in a pristine national forest in Puerto Rico, the study found, and the forest insect-eating animals have gone missing also, In 2014, an international team of biologists estimated that in the past 35 years, the abundance of invertebrates, such as beetles and bees, had decreased by 45%. In places where long-term insect data are available, mainly in Europe, insect numbers are plummeting. A study last year showed a 76% decrease in flying insects in the past few years in Germany's nature Preserves. The latest report published Monday in the Proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences shows that this startling loss of insect abundance extends into the Americas, The study's authors implicate climate change and the loss of the tropical invertebrates. This study in PNAS is a real wake-up call, a clarion call, that the phenomenon could be much, much bigger and across many more ecosystems than originally thought, said David Wagner, an expert in invertebrate conservation at the University of Connecticut, who is not involved in this research. He added, this is one of the most disturbing articles I have ever read. Lister and Garcia attribute this crash to climate. In the same 40 year period as the arthropod crash, the average high temperature in the rainforest increased by 4 degrees Fahrenheit. The temperatures in the tropics stick to a narrow band. The invertebrates that live there, likewise, are adapted to these temperatures and fare poorly outside of them. Bugs cannot regulate their internal heat. Why are we so concerned about the loss of so many insects? Because of the base resource of nutrient that higher animals and the plants we depend upon need for their survival. Let me tell you how to make a great place for for uh, butterflies. Uh, and I, most of you have one of these. If you don't, you can um, you can sort of uh, invent. Got an old frisbee laying around? Everybody's got a Frisbee laying around, okay? Just put a bunch of marbles in the bottom of it, okay? Lay a flat stone or something on it and put a little water in it. Add some salt, or some sugar, or some minerals, okay? Uh, and sink it sort of in ground level. And you're going to be amazed at how many butterflies you're going to start getting. Now, what I prefer to do, and what I actually do at home when I have old stuff laying around, I get old fruit. Now, you've got to change it every few days. The truth is, you don't have to change it every few days. Because they don't mind it being a little rotten. But we seem like, you know, we don't like it rotten sitting around. So you just get an old baking dish or a little thin ceramic bowl or whatever. You know, put it in the flower bed somewhere where you don't have to run over it with a lawnmower. And fill it with uh, some sand. Okay, keep that sand wet. And then... uh, Put some fruit on top of it every day or two. Wash it out. You know, a platform feeder by itself. If you want to put some buff, some some bananas and some watermelon or some apples, some oranges. Uh, change the fruit every day or two, like I mentioned, because it's it's a little stinky. But hmm, why not? Uh, as far as drawing them to your garden, of course, uh, the salvias are great. The zinnias, they love parsley. They love uh, echinacea, giant cone flowers. So you can make yourself quite a little setup. Uh, and draw flowers. I call them flying. They're flying flowers. And they're a bunch this year. In spite of the fact that it's very dry, in spite of the fact that it's uh, not our ideal year in some ways, I have seen a plethora of butterflies out there. So it's kind of neat. Now, we were, we occasionally jump on the chocolate bandwagon. Now, there's more research out. According to researchers at Cornell University, cocoa or cocoa, is actually how they say is a major source of cancer-fighting antioxidants. Here's what's cool. It has twice the amount found in red wine and three times the level found in green tea. Everybody says how great tea is. If you'll take chocolate without the sugar now, you can't go eat um, Hershey's milk chocolate bars, folks. That's not the name here. But pure, dark... Unsugared, untreated cacao or chocolate cocoa is extremely high in uh, phenolic phytochemicals and flavonoids, and is just uh, has a presence of known ox- ox- antioxidants that help to prevent cancer, heart disease, and other conditions. Cocoa or cacao offers 600 over 600 milligrams of gallic acid equivalents they call them and phenol compounds, and over 560 milligrams of flavonoids per serving, and a serving's very small. In comparison to a glass of red wine, which is about 350, uh, it's twice as much. And we talk about a cup of green tea, you actually get twice as much in a glass of wine as you do a cup of green tea at about 165. So, pretty good stuff. I am now using mine. I'll tell you how I bought it. If you want to get into the cacao business, or cocoa, and you don't want the junk, you go to a good health food store, I, of course, bought mine right here in Alpine, Texas, at Blue Water Grocers, And they have a couple of different choices for you. Both, I think, there are actually USDA organic also. And I'm sure a number of places. But here's what you got to do, folks. You've got to become a label reader. If it says anything in there besides powdered cocoa, probably shouldn't take it. You just want the cocoa. Then what I do... I'll give you my whole little drink, which sounds screwy, but believe it, if you haven't tried it, if you're a sweet lover, I'll go one way. If you're not, I'll do another. In the morning, I shake two shakes of organic cinnamon in a cup. I put one teaspoon of my organic dark chocolate and I put my coffee on it. And we're going to do a thing about coffee in a minute. You're going to be amazed at, you're going to love it. And then on occasion, my friends, Tom and Dana Parrish brought me something that I had not been turned on to before. And they're all organic dehydrated blueberries. And the reason is they're so much more economical. You don't, They don't go bad on you before you eat them. And I don't know how expensive they were. I'm sure they weren't inexpensive, but they're not probably outrageous. So maybe my first cup or my second cup of the day, I take a tablespoon or two of these blueberries. Sounds strange, I know. And they become my sweetener. In between times, if I want something sweet, I use Stevia. I now buy, I, I grew my own Stevia a few years, and I should have grown it this year, but being uh, basically lazy just didn't get around to it. So now I'm buying it. Um, There's some new, while we're talking about coffee, there's some new information out on coffee that is just amazing about how much it helps prevent breast cancer in women. The irony is it's not the caffeine at all. Matter of fact, the women got a 33% increase as opposed to a 27% of those that were on water made now decaffeinated coffee. Be careful what kind of decaf you get. You only want it to be washed away. You don't want them to use harsh chemicals to do that. So anyway, chocolate is definitely, uh, uh, I guess, on the way up. We've always, not always, there was a time we thought it was only bad. We now know that's not true. So I've gone to getting away. I, I eat no chocolate anywhere else. I don't ever grab a candy bar. I don't eat these. I, I question these health food bars. Have you ever read the back one? It's got three or 400 calories in it. It's got all this junk in it. Why are they calling it a health food bar? If it's all you eat, it's no longer a snack. It becomes your dinner. Well, that's not much of a dinner. (laughs) Still a lot of sugars and everything. Here's a thing that's been proposed by a guy named Fritz Haag, and and he's doing it. Turning America's water-guzzling lawns into edible estates. Quote, unquote. The average temperature of the continental United States from January through June is the warmest first half of any year since records began being kept according to NOAA, the National Climatic Data Center. So they're not blowing smoke at us, again, It's none of my hippie friends just telling you something. Okay, it's true. Fritz Haig has launched a nationwide campaign called Edible Estates. He's trying to help homeowners convert what is really their water-thirsty lawns into vegetable gardens or native vegetation at least. And the real reason, in addition to saving millions of gallons of water, the major problems inherent in fertilizing, watering, and applying pesticides to the millions of acres of lawns across the U.S. Uh, is unbelievable. You wouldn't believe that, that, matter of fact, I'm as a segue. I think that's the word they use. Let me segue into another thing about lawns. You know what that is? What did I ask you? What is the largest irrigated crop in the United States? Ta-da, your grass. More than all the ag, more than all the growth, more than everything else we grow, the EPA estimates that a total amount of uh, the residential lawn area in the United States now exceeds 40 million acres, making homegrown turf grass the nation's biggest single irrigated crop. Those bigger crops, but not irrigated crops. What do you think we pour in our lawn on the average? Now, and I'm not using it. Remember, I have a lawn. So I get poured in this average, but this means other people are doing way more than this because there's a bunch of us that don't do this. Americans pour about 238 gallons of water per person per day on lawns during the growing season. 230 gallons per person per day just to have a lawn. Think of the price of this. The lawn industry basically almost built around chemistry. So remember who's driving this thing is over 70 billion dollars. It's larger than most countries' entire budget. With the exception of us few bigger guys, there's a lot of countries living on less than 70 billion bucks. Whole countries. And we're spending that just to grow grass. Here's a good question for you. How much gas do you think we burn to cut the lawn? It's incomprehensible. Lawnmowers burn 800 million gallons of gasoline a year. 800 million. See, that's a lot of us cars driving around 24 hours a day. Oh, and I did this a few weeks ago in case you don't remember. Mowing your lawn pollutes the air more than driving your car. To mow your average-sized lawn, you put out enough pollution that you could have driven your car 370 miles. And these are the new cars. So you wonder, they're trying to make it mandatory in California that they put EPA certified exhaust catchers other words like a catalytic converter on the lawnmower and everybody's fighting it especially the lawn boy people and the big tractor companies they don't want to add the eight or ten dollars because they think they'll lose sales but i got news for them if they don't do it the next move is just outlaw gas lawnmowers can't pollute now they're still going to get electricity you're still going to make that electricity but it's they've shown us in electric cars that it's a heck of a lot more efficient to go that way than it is to have gasoline engines everywhere well, I hope you enjoyed this kind of show. I've done it all outdoors and kind of entry, so you might be some sounds you're not too used to, but it just seems like a fun way to do it. The weather has been fantastic. Eh, it's going to be a cold front here another week by next weekend, but uh, right now it's looking good. So thanks for tuning in. This is Organic Matters. We're here every weekend, nine to 10 o'clock. So if anybody interested in nature and interested in gardening, trying to keep up with what's going on in the world around us, just tell them to tune us in.